James was 28 years old when he took his own life. We think he did it on October the 7th, 2017. I discovered him on October the 8th, 2017. About 10.30 in the morning. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem for the person who takes their own life. Uh, yeah, it's a permanent problem for everyone who's left behind. Yeah, we live with that every single day. And the pain is, you know, it's almost like you're walking around, you've got your family, the light's on, you're smiling, you've got so much to look forward to, and then suddenly, bang, the light's gone off. Your heart's constantly heavy, you know, when you, when you get that pang of thinking about him, just little things, you feel sick. That's Patrick and Wendy Mullery, who we're going to hear more from shortly. In Scotland, men are three times more likely to commit suicide than women. And within Scotland, here in the Highlands, we have some of the highest figures for male suicide. According to the statistics available before the pandemic, those figures were on the up. I'm Bruce McGregor. I've lived and worked in the Highlands all my life and through both my professional life as a musician and businessman and through my passion for playing rugby, I've known of far too many cases of people taking their own life. It's a sad fact that just about all of us here in the Highlands knows someone touched by suicide. The aim of this podcast, Speaking of Suicide, is simply to share stories and experiences. It isn't all about suicide. Some of the stories you'll hear are about just many of us struggling with the day-to-day -day stuff of life. The point of the podcast is to get more of us talking. If we don't talk about it honestly and openly, then there's a danger that those statistics will keep on going up with devastating consequences. There's no getting around it. Some of what you're going to hear will be tough, but we hope you'll also be able to see these stories as a celebration of life and the fact that no matter where you're at just now, it's worth holding on and getting help. With that in mind, throughout the podcast, we've got reminders of how you can get in touch with Mikey's line, and at the end of the story, we've got some useful tips and tricks for when you're struggling. Speaking of Suicide has been funded by the Highland-based family firm D&D Paving Limited because the construction industries suffer from particularly high rates of male suicide, and they wanted to do something to help. No matter what industry you work in, tell people about this podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, share it. If we manage to help one person step back from taking their own life, then we've succeeded. And please remember, if you're listening to this and it becomes too much, you can always hit the pause button. Uh, we both were, we met and both divorced. Both had kids and it was a bit of a argy-bargy to and fro. We decided to um, stick a pin in a map and come on holiday. It landed in Inverness, so we came to Inverness, and that was it. Sold. Fell in love with it. Yep. Yeah. Moved out three months later. Really? Mm. Quick. Mm. I'm the Speaking well, of Suicide like series producer, Penny Latin, mm. and this episode belongs to Patrick and Wendy Mullery, who I met in their Cromarty home, which they share with three lively dogs. As we sat and watched the rigs on the Cromarty Firth, they shared their memories and great pain at losing their son, James. He was a bugger. He really was. He was uh, cheeky chappy, always 
practical jokes messing about up for a laugh great on a night out until he got drunk and then he wasn't nice a lot of people are like that I know but you know he's not perfect I'm not perfect very few people are perfect my, my missus may be perfect as close as I've ever come to finding someone who's perfect but he was a lovely person to have around uh, worked really hard <clears throat> never had a problem working you know worked for Arnold Clark so he, had, he did a lot of hours I don't think that really helped him sales sales side yeah sales sales manager in the end but sales and then he left there had a bit of a breakdown um, he was there for eight years I think but most of his working life he worked there and there were, a little bit before that he was working in sales for someone else so yeah and what was your relationship with him like did you get on yeah yeah once he once he left home you know those teenage years were difficult Are you recording? Wendy Penny. Hi, Wendy. Right. That's funny because my surname was Penn. <laughs> so when he says Wendy Penny, it seems like he's going to say. Well, you're back to school, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Penny, get back in that chair. Do your own work. <laughs> <laughs> if at any point you want to say something and join yeah, in, no, that's I'm absolutely fine. fine. But I'll move the mic closer to okay. you if you want to do yeah, that. Okay. Um, but you just. Just give me a nod, okay. all right? But it, there's no pressure. No, I'm fine. Whatsoever. I'm fine. It's just I've been a bit tired. It's just my me plays up every so often. So I was asking you about about how you and and James got on. Yeah, James um, is actually my stepson. He's been with me since he was eight, and so for twenty years of his life, he was, you know, he was in my life, and I loved him like he was, he was my own son. More really, because he would live with me, so. Yeah, we had a, a good relationship on the whole. The teenage years were difficult. He left home and it was, yeah, you laugh at that. He left home and it all, it was it was fine, you know. He he moved sort of in Venice and he went moved back nearer to us in Rose Markey and a big part of our lives. Tell me about the last time you saw James. Yeah, James uh, worked in Evanston. Uh, he'd only been there a week. He did a half day Saturday and um, he stopped him on his way home, which this is not on his way home. But he stopped by and there was Wendy's mum who lives here and Wendy and myself and that was all good fun. And you was you was not well that day, was you? No, I had a bad headache, so I'd gone off. He went up to bed. I'm saying that though, although Pat says it wasn't on their way, it wasn't on his way. I think he, he, his partner was a, like a mum, so I think he had a few hours that he just didn't want to spend the whole afternoon. So he just used to sometimes call by and have a wind up, you know, he was always a bit of a joker. So I don't think it was, I, me personally, I don't think it was anything out of the ordinary. You know, I think Pat sees it a little bit differently to me, but I just think he just wanted to come see us and wind us up before spending the rest of the afternoon by himself as, as such. So, mm. And did he wind you up? Oh, constantly. <coughs> oh, yeah. The things yeah. he did were, yeah. like, especially him and his big sister, you know, the two siblings, um, oh, they were absolute terrors together, you know, always trying to frighten me. And he was absolutely the life and soul of, of any gathering, you know. Um, yeah, and that's what I miss, you know, because I lost my dad eight weeks before. So two big characters, you know, 
suddenly disappear. And the thing was, my dad and him were characters together. So they would always be pranking and messing about and giggling and, you know, and you think, oh, what would he be doing next? But, yeah, some of the pranks he's done are... Well, you couldn't even write them, could you, really? No. And on that, really, your dad's passing was James's first experience of anything in the family. Yeah, of a death. And I think not having his real father as a great role model, it was, you know, granddad was there and so therefore it was, you know... Um, granddaddy looked up to and you know um, for that male bit football and boxing and you know so yeah I think losing him was as we found out shortly after well not shortly after a little bit shortly after and then even latter people coming up and said you know I bumped into your James he was heartbroken Um, yeah he never displayed that to us you know so he came round yeah. on that, that Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, on his yeah. way home from work, he stopped here. Had a here. coffee. Had a, yeah, for, had a coffee. He went up to bed and then uh, yeah. it was just his nan and myself. Having a laugh. And James having a laugh for an hour, hour and a half. Must have been a good hour and a half. Um, and as he drove away, I stood here with his nan, just in this room where we are now. And I said to his nan, as he drove off, isn't it lovely to see him in such good form? And he'd been in good form for a while. Yeah. You know, he'd been spending more time with the children, you know, because the job that he was in was absolutely crucifying him. Um, but, yeah, he, he he drove away. And he also said to my mum, right, Nan, you know, now Dad's, Granddad's gone. I'm always going to be here for you. So, to me, there was no indication at that point that he was going to do anything. Do you think when he came round... He knew no. what that no. day was going to hold. No. I don't think so. No, I think what when you're saying is right. I think that, in fact, we do agree on this, really. I do think it was impulsive. Yeah. I think he had a bit of a tete-a-tete with his partner. She came home with the children. I haven't been in the invalid with her mother she, for a few yeah, hours. Yeah, she'd endured a lot, to be fair, as well, yeah. because yeah. their relationship wasn't always great, you know. Um, not, not through her fault, you know, James did have an issue with drink. Um, he wasn't an alcoholic. He was a bit of a binge drinker. But the trouble was, James was nice James, one or two. Really funny James, three, four, maybe. And then, oops, he's not turning into being very nice. And his temper would, you know, he'd never, he was never violent to her, you know. But so, self-destruct. So I think he, he, he went home. I've been left here. He had a couple of hours on his own. His, his partner came home with the kids. They had a bit of a row. And then they all went off and I left him. I think she accused him a bit of drinking, but he hadn't. No. The autopsy was clear. There was no drugs, alcohol, nothing. Mm. Nothing at all. So and just, that's what hurts most. Yeah. So when she drove off with the kids, that was him on his own. And funny enough, he, he made her give him the front door keys. So she couldn't get back she in. Fact, effectively couldn't get back in. And we didn't know any of this until the fo- I think, afterwards. I think the build-up of, of what happened was that he said, you know, she said, oh, I'm not staying if you, if you know, I'm going to go back to my mum's if you've been, you know, you're going to be sort of arsey. So he was like, um, you know, because he said, but I haven't been drinking or whatever. And, you know, and then she said, well, you're just not in a good, good place, I don't want to be here, fair enough. And the kids were a little bit 
you know. So I think what was happening, in my view, in his mind was I've lost my granddad, I've, you know, the kids are rejecting me. That's, that's just my view. Who knows? Of putting together. But as I say, you're not going to know the answer. And the, the, the kids were young. What age kids you? were... Five, five, two and ten weeks. Yeah, five, two and ten weeks. Yeah. yeah. So, he's there on his own. When did you hear? We didn't know till the next day. The next day, this was sort of five o'clock in the afternoon um, when, when all this happened with his partner. So, the um, next day she rang and said he's not been online. No, Have you heard from him? It was his sister who alerted us at first. Um, the Saturday night, and I was still in bed, still unwell. And she'd, but the funny thing was, James had been um, sending funny face messages to the girls, like, you know, his other sister, Dottie, and his big sister. And they were responding, and then it sort of went quiet, so they just said, oh, you know, good, he's left us alone now, you know, and um, probably Jodie's home. But then it wasn't until late that night that Hayley said, um, his big sister, to Dottie, because I was in bed, have you heard from James at all? He's not been online. And Dottie said, no, I heard from him earlier. Why? Oh, it's just he's not been online. So she said that he put up a post saying that he was missing his granddad. You know, I went to mum's today and it's just not the same without granddad. So that was that. And we didn't think nothing of it. So we just thought Jodie was there and everything was fine. You know, he's gone asleep. And then... Sunday, my phone, house phone rang, and it was Jodie. And because she had no keys, she was unable to go home. And then she didn't want to go home because she didn't want to have another row with James. So she asked us if we would go over and have a chat with him and even bring him here for a few hours and see what's what. So you said, I'll, I'll go. Because we yeah, had a set I'd, I'd put my coat on, put my shoes on, I left while you were still on the phone. Yeah, while I was and talking, I just thought he'd had a bit much, too much, because <coughs> then she said about the ram, whatever. We just thought, oh, you know what he's done? He's just probably bloody come off drinking and laying on the floor asleep, you know. And then. So I went round there and the um, door was locked, he didn't answer the door, the curtains were all shut at the front. So I went round the back, had to climb over the fence that I'd built the other week, previous to that, stop his little and getting out. Um, and uh, looked in the back door, couldn't, didn't see anything. I actually looked on the floor, along the floor, and where the wall and the floor meet, because I, I imagined him to be laying on the floor, hiding, messing about. That's what I was expecting. Yeah, so I wasn't looking right in front of me. I was looking down there. And he wasn't there, so I went back round to that lounge, and there was nothing. I went to went onto the bedroom window. It was a bungalow they were in, and um, the bed was made. So I thought, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's not asleep because he's good one for sleeping right through the day, you know. And I went back uh, to the back door, and then I looked straight, and there he was. He was uh, he was hanging there. So I tried to kick the door in, I couldn't get in that way. The door was just wouldn't let me in and I uh, went back round the front, over the fence, front in the front. Tried to kick that door in, couldn't do that. So there was a big black um, garden ornament. <clears throat> so I threw that through the top window of the door. And then I got the wheelie bin and I 
I got a big uh, coat out of my car for a work coat. And I put that over the door frame, climbed on the wheelie bin and got through, got in. And all this time, when I, to rewind a bit, when I looked into the back door, I was on the phone to Wendy. Wendy was saying, air is easy, have you seen him, is he all right? And then I saw him and then she heard me finding him. And that would have been horrendous for her and for Dorothy, mm. but he, yeah. The visual audio, you know, he was seeing it, we were visualising as well as hearing it. It was just the most awful, yeah. awful thing, you know. And even though, even though it was obvious I to me... I thought he was on the phone to Jodie, actually, <clears throat> as well, because obviously she stayed on the phone, so only sort of ten minutes away. She was obviously a bit concerned. Or for, you know, she thought, oh, it'd just be the, you know, he's had a drink and he's been laying in his bed, um, as we all did. But then when I heard him, I thought, oh. and then I'm going, well, you know, what, what is it, what is it? And he said, he's, he's dead, Wend. And I went, no, 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 no. Just sort him out, you know, come on, you can you can sort him out. And he said, Wend, he's, he's gone. Ring an ambulance, so I was trying to do that. And then Dottie obviously was hearing, and then there was Jodie the other end, obviously. It was all a mess unfolding. And then um, I called the ambulance and... It was, you know, is he still breathing? So I'm going, is he still breathing? You know, so I'm, I'm trying to relay everything and then everything was a mess. And But anyway, he'd, he'd been there a while. Um, but poor old Pat had to cut him down. Yeah, the first one is they rang me on mobile and said, oh, is it, have you cut him down? I said, no, we need to cut him down. And it was obvious to me, looking at him, he'd been there for a long time because of what happens in the body, you know? So I cut him down and of course, it was horrible that sound. And um, I then had to perform mouth to mouth on him. And it was obvious it was a waste of time, but you have to do it. And that didn't work, so they said do it again and I refused. I was just gonna do it again. Yeah, so the height of, the height of it, that was, that was awful. They just live with us all the time. We'll continue with Patrick and Wendy in just a moment, but don't forget, it's okay not to be okay. And if you need someone to talk to, you can text Mikey's Line on 07786 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. Sunday to Thursday, 6pm till 10pm, and Friday to Saturday, 7pm to 7am. I can't begin to imagine what it is like to go through what you have been through. I'm a parent and I can't, I can't begin to go there. Mm. Where do you begin Processing something of that magnitude. Uh, what, apart from the just, the, obviously the sheer horror of, of losing your child, but what kinds of questions do you ask in your head? Where, where do you go to start unpacking all that? Well, I think in the beginning it was... We in each just, other's arms. Yeah, well, we were just all in shock. Yeah. And I think... When something hits you of that magnitude, you 
somehow survive. If if you sit someone down and say, how do you do it? I, th I think everybody will say, I don't know how I did it. I just don't know how I did it. But when you've got three grandchildren, James's partner, sisters, Pat going through the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and I just thought, no, I, I, I've, I've got to step up here. As much as I had my own loss, and he was my boy, you know. He was my boy. You kept me afloat, you did. And it was just... I got. I can't. I can't. I can't bury someone else. You know, and I just kept looking for answers. Why? And people say they get angry. I'm never angry. Never in a million years am I angry for what he's done. You know, if if James felt that that was the right thing, then so be it. Um, you know, he was a man. Um, I think there are very much um, lots of people that struggle with mental health of some disorder. Some people live with it every day and you wouldn't even know. Um, James, obviously, I don't think had mental health issues. I think he just had a bit of an addictive personality with drink and, and so on. But as a person, you know, I think he had troubles in his mind of things that happened with his dad and, and bits and pieces like that, hence why we live in Scotland. Um, and he was always a little bit torn, not from my end, but from his dad's end. So I think that was always a, a thing. But when we when he had children, we thought, oh, you know, this this will be the making of him. And, and it was. It was, you know, he loved the boys. But the job that he had trying to keep afloat didn't allow him to be a proper dad. It was just getting up, going to work, coming home, day in, day out. And on the days he, day he had off, he was just shattered, absolutely exhausted. So I think he was in a, you know, tied up in this, I can't get out of it, trap, entrapment, really. So you get um, a sense there, don't you? You get a So sense you start there. to think, hmm, OK, um, okay, you know, so you, you bit by bit, you, you do say, why didn't he reach out? Why didn't he speak to me? But, you know, I think he would have seen it as failing. I really do. Like, oh, you know, I'm the man, I'm the, you know, the big tough one. And, and you know, and, and since he's passing, everyone's talking about, you know, don't ever use the word man up, you know, because, but James was brought up around that environment with his father and, and to an extent, my my dad and my brother, you know, they're very much a man's man, you know, sort of football and a drink and and women and, you know, sort of environment, you know, all look at her. And... Do you, with hindsight, and I, I suspect you've spent three and a half years mm -hmm. just thinking back, thinking back, thinking back. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think his being the joker, his taking a drink. Was that, was that masking difficult stuff going on? What, what's your thoughts on it now? I mean, were there signs? Could you have... People have asked that question. Could you not have, you know, did you not see any signs or anything? Did you not realise? But the thing is, if you're not living with someone 24-7, which we were, because James was a grown man, we couldn't have, have seen it. Um, sadly, 
we found out afterwards that he had tried before. Okay. But then again, would that have helped knowing? I don't know. Because at the end of the day, they do say people that, that attend do eventually go on. Well, I think it would have helped because exactly that. People who, it's, it's, it's a proven statistic, unfortunately, that people who do attempt, 90% of them go on to do it successfully. I say complete. Complete. Word. And you being the person you are, if you would have known, oh, you would have researched no, no. it. Oh, and you yeah. would have found that fact. Yeah, and you would have done something it. about it. I no, it might not have stopped, stopped it, no, it. but it might, it might have meant he'd been here for another five or ten years or 20 but, years. But, and then what life would, would Jodie and, and me and, and everybody have? How many Sorry more attempts point. would he have done before? You just don't know whether you know, help support. Maybe he would, and that, that in itself is another issue. I'm going to go all over the place here, sorry. That's another issue. If you, and you're sort of hitting it really, if you've got a tablet to help your heart condition to keep you alive, you're going to take it, but a lot of people don't want to take a tablet to help their mental health. In the aftermath of uh, losing James, James taking his life, you've set up a support group. Tell me about that. Tell me why you've done it and what you've done. Wendy and I and Jodie, James's partner, decided to set this group up um, because we felt that there was no tangible support for us going through what we were going through, having been bereaved by suicide. Um, without any support as such, we just had to help ourselves and the only way we could do that was, we felt was to... Yeah, to start group. our own groups. Because like Pat said, I mean, I agree partly with him, but then I'm different to him and I think that's the thing, we're all individuals. The support group allows us all to be individual because you're going to get people coming from a recent tragedy to a long term, been five, six years, ten years, and yet they still sit there as if it's just happened. Yeah. And I think this is what suicide does. It's forever. It's not going to be, you know, like my dad passed away and, you know, that that is a natural way. He had a lovely life and I've got them great memories. I've got great memories of James, but there was still more to have, and I've been deprived of that, and not even me, but his children have, of their dad. So all these people coming together are able to sit and talk to one another about where they are in their journey of grief. Pat dealt with his, and he's still dealing with it. Me, I've, I've been this, got to keep going, got to keep going. I can't sit down, I can't stop doing things. I knit, I crochet, I music teacher I'd, you know that's my way of dealing with it and everybody's individual and I don't think there's a way like a textbook that says you've got to grieve now mm. I think when you're with a support group that allows you to come along and have your moment when others around are getting on with their lives aren't they Pat and mm. people are almost half expect you to say but it's been three and a half years you know should you not be moving on a little bit they do. They do. People do. They don't because they don't know if it's not affected them. You know, didn't they, Pat? They sort of feel, you know, you've got to. I mean, a lot of people are admirable, you know, of what we're doing, but we do hear people come to the group and say, you know, I, I don't cry around my friends because they get, oh, God, really, you know. You're still on. banging on about that? 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and that happened to even Jodie and a couple of her, her friends have said it. Mm. So yeah. that's what the group is good for. So if someone goes online and looks up the James Support Group... Yep, jamesupportgroup.com, yeah. that's the website. Yeah. jamesupportgroup.com. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we have a 24-7 helpline, which is 07563 572 How much is it helping you that you know you are doing something? Is that important? Absolutely it's massive. Got us through it. Yeah, it's helping us. Uh, we always say this: the going to the going to a meeting, arranging a meeting, going to a meeting, and helping people by being there, by setting up, by listening to others, others listening to you. You know, you're helping each other. We're not just helping the people who come to meetings; they they are helping us yeah. by being there. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's a two way thing. You know, it's it's all about. Feeling part, yeah, feeling part of something that knowing yeah. that everyone in that room is going through the same as you. I'm a dad. He can let you go. There'll be down. another dad who's been bereaved. There'll be another mum like Wendy there. There'll be another sibling like Dotty there. There'll be a friend. There'll be a best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people can come along. They can talk, or they can just listen if they don't want to talk. That's absolutely fine. One thing's for sure: without the meetings, there is very little else for people who are mm-hmm. bereaved. And also what we're trying to do is, is extend it to the, the children, to have family. And, I mean, we don't sit down and talk about sad grief all the time. We talk, you know, what we've been up to and what everyone else has been up to where, you know. Um, it's yeah, not one of those, time. hi, my name is, and I'm, you know, um, it's literally everyone just, as soon as somebody, a new face comes in, everybody goes over and... And everyone goes out and, you know, if it's for them, great, we see them again. If it's not, then hopefully we've we've done some good for the them meeting, that the day. The meetings but... are sombre. They're also light-hearted. We try and end every meeting on a, on a, on a light note. Um, but there, but there are, there are deep stuff. points. There are points mm-hmm. where people want to talk about their grief, and that's absolutely fine. There are other points where we're just all sitting around having a laugh, you know, mm-hmm. and that's really that really yeah. has to be that because mm-hmm. everyone else outside the meeting is getting on with their life. And us in this meeting, the people who can come to the meeting uh, are finding solace, the fact there's others in that room who understand. Um, the meeting isn't just for people who are bereaved by suicide, it's also for people who have, who have had suicidal, suicidal thoughts, thoughts yeah. and who currently have suicidal thoughts as well. And we have several people who come to these meetings on a regular basis who are able to see the devastation left behind from a suicide in the hope that we feel that that's enough to stop them going on to to do it. If you were to try and describe in a few words the devastation from a suicide, the impact of a suicide. Mm. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem for the person who takes their own life. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a permanent problem for everyone who's left behind. Yeah. We live with that every single day. And the pain is, you know, it's almost like you're walking around, you've got your family, the light's on, you're smiling, you've got so much to look forward to, and then suddenly, bang, the light's gone off. Your heart's constantly heavy. You know, when you when you get that pang of thinking about him, just little things, you feel sick. 
you know, because it's the realisation of he's, he's never going to walk back through that door, you know, he's never going to smack my backside or, you know, flip my hair or mess it up. Um, you know, and people say, would you like one more day? If I had the chance to have a day with James, I'd say, don't spend it with me. Go and spend it with your boys. They need you more than I do. That's you all over, that is. That'd that be it. Especially the middle one. He's really struggling just now. And that's the sad part, because yeah. children don't understand that when Daddy goes to heaven, they're not coming back. And every night, that little boy, he was only two, we didn't think, you know, everyone thought he, he didn't know what was going on, but he knew. And he struggles every day crying for his dad to come back from heaven. You're sending up balloons on his birthday, flowers, whatever, and he says, but Mum, Nanny, if, Mum, if Daddy can see the balloons, then why can't he come and see me? Why can't he come down and see me? And then how do you tell three little boys, that's why I wouldn't want a day with him, I'd want to, him to spend every second with them boys. Penny was talking to Patrick and Wendy Mullery. A reminder of Mikey's line, if you or someone you know needs help or advice, you can text 07786 207755 or contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter. It's available Sunday to Thursday, 6pm till 10pm and Friday and Saturday, 7pm to 7am. Here's Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line with a few thoughts for you to mull over. Wendy and Patrick's story is incredibly moving to listen to. Suicidal behaviour isn't due to any one factor. It's a really complicated interplay of our biology, our psychology, the environment that we live in, our culture. And looking at James's life and, and what pa Wendy and Patrick have just shared it can be useful just to think are there some risk factors there that we can look out for in ourselves or in any in others that we know underlying vulnerability factors that James had he had a really stressful time in his life with his work and he was grieving for his granddad Wendy talks about adverse childhood experiences we know that adverse childhood experiences can increase our vulnerability. What makes somebody then move, though, from having underlying vulnerability to attempting and completing suicide? One factor can be being impulsive, being a spontaneous person. Previous behaviour can also be another factor, such as previously attempting suicide. And another major factor is access to the, the means of completing suicide or attempting suicide. If you recognise any of these risk factors in yourself, it's really, really important that you speak to someone that you trust and you get the support that you need. And the same if you know anyone who's at risk, listen to them, ask them if they're okay, help them get that support. And it's so important that we know that asking if someone is having suicidal thoughts doesn't increase their risk or it doesn't put the idea in their head but rather it gives them the permission to speak about it and it could actually save their life. 
you or they can text us at Mikey's line. We're open every evening and our number is 077-86-207755. Speaking of Suicide is an adventurous audio production made possible thanks to the support of D&D Paving Limited in partnership with Mikey's line. Next time on Speaking of Suicide. Being from the Highlands, you know, we're supposed to be men. That's what, you know, we're like Highlanders and strong men and all this stuff, and it's just rubbish. You know, we can be strong, but then we can also have uh, a kind of a, a sense of, of, of what we need to do to be better ourselves. So.